You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. And we're back. Hey, Winston, how's it going? Pretty good. Good. So uh, today, um, I thought it'd be fun that we could talk about trip planning and navigation and all the uh, the prep work that goes into that for your adventure. Yeah, because all of the backpacking episodes we've done so far have been about like gear and food and all of that type of thing. But now, let's assume you've got all your stuff, you've got your food packed. Now, how do you plan a trip? Yeah, this yeah. is like the dreamy part. <laughs> as far as uh, researching what you want to do, but at the end of the day, it comes down to some key points. Whenever I look at a, a trip, I always want to focus in on what is this trip about? I, I think that's a good starting point. Uh, what kind of an adventure is it? Is it something that you're looking to chill? So the idea of a hiker who likes to camp. And, and then there's the idea of whether you're doing something aggressive. You want to really challenge yourself, do some mountains, some elevation, work really hard. It's more about covering the miles and maybe the elevation. Mm-hmm. I think, too, what's really important to note is uh, if you're doing something more remote versus uh, closer to um, civilization, there's a lot more to count for. Yeah, although the, the thing for people to understand is that it doesn't take very far for it to become uh, effectively backcountry if something goes wrong. So, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to the, the sort of safety considerations. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's also my first point about um, what it's about, what kind of adventure do you want to have, is when you're taking others especially, and, and especially if you've never been with them before, having that conversation so that uh, everybody's on the same page and, and striving towards the same thing. I don't really think of my trips as about something. I just go and I want to hike. Uh, so it's interesting to come at it from sort of hmm. different different ideas. Yeah. Um, the If it's backpacking, I'm going to hike. So then the question for me is just how far am I going to go in a day? Yeah, well, and, and I think the way that I always kind of look at it is first, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. Right? Because um, you can go do multiple trips at the same place. Right, like or multiple types of trips, um, you know. Then uh, it's a case of how long are you going for, because mm-hmm. how you would maybe structure an overnighter, mm-hmm. um, you might not do as many miles uh, per day because it's one of those things. If you're only going out for, you know, essentially two days and one night, you got to factor in the getting home, the getting there. So with those, it's a case where that would be the much more chill. It's just to get a night out. Yeah. Um, the longer you're going, um, then effectively, at least in my mind, the longer I'm going, the less chill it's going to be. Uh, because then you actually have the time to, to cover some distance. So you'll plan it out so that each day will be, uh, you know, uh, a little longer because you, you've got like sort of a loop or an adventure or a point to point or something planned in there. Um, yeah. And then of course you're looking at, you know, what has your fitness been lately? I know when we went to the Adirondacks in the the fall, it had been a while since I've been doing a lot of hiking. Um, cause we've been rock climbing and training and yeah. So that was, uh, I'm glad we took, we planned the way we did. We actually did not do any mountain hiking. We went over a pass, but no significant grueling days as far as going up and down a mountain because that was going to be um, more of an issue with my knees because I, was, I wasn't in the cardio or conditioning. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think you were any worse than you've ever been uh, from a fitness standpoint. So I, I, like, like I take really? you as being in... Because my, my training regime and my comfort level hasn't dramatically changed from the standpoint of I can still cover, you know, X number of miles a day um, comfortably or, yeah, comfortably and do it again tomorrow. Um, and I had to wait for you less on this trip. Oh, really? Okay. Right. Because when we went like a couple of summers ago, mm-hmm. uh, when we came up from the John Brooks Valley, yeah, uh, I had to wait for you for an hour. Uh, like up at the crossroads, you know, where the trail split. Yeah. Um, but wasn't that a much higher elevation that we were covering? Well, that was still going over a pass. That wasn't up a mountain. Mm. Right. So. Okay. 
whereas going up like feldspar um i only ever had to wait like a couple minutes for you at any point yeah and mm-hmm. you know so so gains yeah so i don't think from that standpoint you're that much out of shape yeah compared to any other time you've been yeah you know your big thing is just the knees yeah we were just playing it safe though yeah to not wreck my knees Anyway, that's usually something to keep in mind, though, certainly when you're going on a trip, right? Well, and and because there's one thing about distance, but it's understanding the terrain. Because mm-hmm. elevation plays a big role. Huge. Um, in, in how many miles you can cover in a day. And then how rough the terrain is. Like a, a nice sort of rolling forest path mm-hmm. um, that doesn't have a lot of obstacles uh, is a lot faster than you know, stepping from rock to rock to rock, even if it's flat oh, yeah. terrain. Yeah. Um, so it, getting a little bit of research, and that's a great thing nowadays, is that we get the internet, mm-hmm. right? So you can read other people's trip blogs and uh, that type of thing for an area and get a feel for uh, how, how rough the terrain is. Um, because, you know, you, you run into the thing of where you're going to go, um, how many days you're going to go, um, and from that, then, you know, figure out, uh, how much time you want to be able to spend in camp mm-hmm. versus how much time hiking. Hmm. Right. So, uh, if you want more end of the day chill time, maybe you limit your days to 10 kilometers a day, right. Which isn't in hiking world, isn't particularly long. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you might knock that off in, uh, like three hours of actual hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, so then when you factor in your your um, snack breaks and that kind of thing, well, you could be done 10K by, by you know, noon or one o'clock. Yeah. Right? And then it becomes one of those things where if you want to have a more of a day of hiking, maybe it's 15 or maybe it's 20 or 25 or 30, like whatever your fitness level and... Um, ambition comes to, then that's sort of how you'll sort of plan, you know, how much is reasonable for you to cover in a day. And then that lets you go, okay, and, and it's going to be five days. So if it's going to be 10K a day, then we go 50K. Then when you're sitting down on maps, then you can draw it and figure out what kind of route makes sense, right? One of the mistakes so many people make is they're super enthusiastic in their route planning. And then when they get out there, uh, because the terrain is more rugged, uh, you know, it might be hillier or whatever. Because when you look at a map... You don't really know it. Yeah. Um, now, if you're using some of the modern interactive tools, uh, you know, whether it's using the All Trails app or Garmin Basecamp, you know, if you've got a Garmin, then when you draw a route, it'll also give you uh, the elevation. So it'll tell you how far uh, that route is. And... Uh, it will also tell you how much elevation gain you get. Pretty much always surprised at how much rest time we take. I know that often we'll look back at our my Garmin. It's funny how you say we. <laughs> you are with me. Uh, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you, to your point. Uh, you, 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 take, you take a lot more breaks than I do. Yeah, more so in the past. Not so much anymore because I realized that. But stopping and resting to have a snack... And especially in the past when I didn't have my footwear dialed in, I would may- maybe need to air my feet, have some blisters, whatever, yeah. right? Um, take it, And I was more out of shape, right? And so, um, but you find often we would look at the Garmin and it'd say we'd be hiking for four hours and resting for three. Yeah. And go, holy fuck, where the- <laughs> how did that happen? So it's, it's good if you're uh, just getting out there and it's an area... There's, you think it's going to be a little bit more challenging than you're used to when you're looking at the elevation of the terrain to be conservative mm-hmm. if you need to be back by a certain day, you know. Yeah, um, because you'll run into the thing where you've got both your, uh, you know, what you can do on a day hike. Well, usually if you're out on a day hike, um, you don't have to do it again tomorrow. Uh, and you're also not carrying a full backpack. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like if, if you're say, you know, you go out and you've done a 15 K day hike, but you're only carrying like a 20 liter pack with sort of the essentials and snacks. Um, well now when you've got all of your camping gear 
and your food for five days. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you're looking probably a minimum of 30 pounds unless you've got like super, super ultra light gear. So you're looking a minimum of 30 pounds. And now all of a sudden, uh, every up is that much harder, right? Every down beats you up that much more. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people don't sort of factor that in. If it's flat terrain, and that's sort of the thing we run into, like in Ontario, um, we don't have massive elevation gains. So we might have some rough terrain, um, but we don't have giant climbs and giant descents. So it depends on, like, if you're in Iowa, uh, I don't even know if they've got any rocks in Iowa. I know it's pretty <laughs> flat. Um you know, so you're going to be able to, because it's flat forested trail, um, if that's your terrain, well, then, you know, 20K is not a big deal, right? Because you're just pounding, pounding dirt. And when you're planning how many kilometers you do a day, is there like, um, not necessarily like a best practice that given the fact that you're carrying a lot more weight, assuming we're going uh, backpacking for five days, is there, you know, you may not want to go all out your first day because you've got so much weight on you? No. Does it Cause every uh, The way I look at it is each day you'll be more tired, but each day your pack weighs less. Mm. So, uh, no. Now, on your first trip, like nobody's going to do a five-day or probably shouldn't for their first trip. Um, doing something where it's like 5 to 10K in and whether you're lucky enough that there might be a loop so then, you know, the first half of the loop is 5 or 10K, and then the second K half of the loop uh, is the same, gets you back to the car, or an out and back, right? You go in, you set up camp in the morning, you pack up, and you walk out the same route back to the car. Then basically taking some notes, right? So when you've done little trips, um, at the moment, make some notes about, okay, I did this many kilometers and this is how I felt. Uh, this was what the terrain was like. Because in time, then the more data you've accumulated for different areas and how you respond to it, yeah. then the easier your trip planning will be in the future. Uh, I know what I can do. I know basically down to the point where I can roughly estimate my distances um, or the time it'll take to cover a distance based on the terrain. Well, if it's flat terrain with no obstacles, so basically just a dirt path in the forest and it, then it's flat to rolly, um, I can sort of maintain uh, four and a half or five kilometers an hour all day long. Um, now, if we're still on that flat to rolling terrain, but there's a lot of roots, rocks, uh, the kind of thing that you can twist your ankle on yeah. where you're having to place your feet, yeah and not just walk. Um, So that I'll be sort of between, you know, three to four kilometers an hour. And then if it's big uphill, the kind of thing where, uh, or even going for a summit, but but that kind of thing where you're sustained uphill on irregular rough terrain, Mm -hmm. uh, then it will be uh, one and a half to two and a half kilometers an hour. Um, so it's not exact. I will go exactly the speed because if it's a little steeper and a little rougher, you'll go a little slower. Um, but from that, I have a rough idea of being able to go, okay, well, I know I've got this coming up, this coming up, this coming up. It's these distances. It's going to take me roughly this long because in the States, everything's in miles. We see that it's like 1.2 miles to the summit and we know what the DACs are like, you know, as far as the ruggedness goes. Well, I know 1.2 miles will take me uh, just under an hour because we're adjusting our pace. So the uphills, you're going a little slower um, so that you are not fried <laughs> for yeah. later on. Yeah. Um, and that's one of the big mistakes so many people make too is, mm-hmm. and this isn't, well, I guess it ties into planning, um, mm-hmm. is the, the whole thing is they start out too fast. Um, we ran into that on the last trip. Yeah. Right? Where... We had like a, a super easy, it was actually like a like an ATV trail um, for the first 5K hike in. Yeah. And like I had to book it to keep up with you, right? You were just like... I was so excited I was passing you. Right? <laughs> well, but the, the yeah. thing we were into... It was into, the first time I had that much energy and, and yeah. Um, and I was pretty feeling, I was feeling really good. Yeah. But it was work. 
but then the problem was is I a couple couldn't. hours later i was waiting for you yeah right we, yeah you started too fast I did. Um, yeah. And it sort of comes back to the thing you'll always hear when people are through hiking is hike your own hike. Um, you need to start off too slow. <laughs> like not rate at your limit because you can't maintain your limit. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that kind of thing. It's like a pace, you know, that, that, that's work, but that you've got some reserves left over. Yeah. Because when we hit the uphills, which were, you know, six seven kilometers in then it was all of a sudden it was just real lot of work for you because you'd gotten fatigued because you went too fast yeah the first while i remember when i uh and i actually did plan out this trip and i think i planned it out quite well as far as the number of kilometers again i was trying to be conservative and i was quite surprised at how i felt after i think what was the first day was it 12k uh was it 11 no, it was more than that. Or 15. Maybe it was, it was around 15. 15. And the second day was, was 17. 17. I thought that would have been dead easy. I really did, considering how I felt with my knees. And that was the only limita- limit- limiting factor for me were my knees. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm as much as I was being careful, I felt a lot worse than I thought I would have been in terms of being out of shape in my knees. And... Uh, um, I'm glad I planned that because it wasn't a stretch to do it. Mm-hmm. We did it, but I was tired and, um, it wasn't just tired. I was like, my knees were bugging me, especially the second day. But I do going back to the very first time I did a solo backpack two years ago, it was over at, uh, Tracy Ridge in Pennsylvania. And, um, um, I purposely decided to go on this hike where I knew there was number one, quite a few people around me, right? So in terms of navigation and back country, cause I was testing out my new Garmin GPS. Um, I could do a fair amount in a day, which was probably between 15 to 20. Um, but I wasn't going somewhere where I'd be completely um, solo. Like I wouldn't see a soul, right? Um, so from a planning perspective, it was considered to be an easier trip for me. Mm-hmm. but you can easily make it hard, especially when you travel in the States and you're not limited by permits. Of where you have to camp. Yeah. That's right. That makes it a lot of fun. You have more flexibility. But I also picked something that had quite a few exits, if I needed exit strategies, if I needed to get off the, the trail. It just wasn't like I'm going in back country and I've got a whole heck of a way to come back. No, like that particular trail network has all these cross trails. That can get you back to a road. Yeah, one way or another if I really needed it. Yeah. So, um, and I ended up camping at a campground, but it was like a, I think of 18 kilometer trek in. Mm-hmm. The one day I backpacked 26 kilometers. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. But the key was I purposely went easier. And then if it wasn't, you know, if I wanted more of a challenge, I could keep going. Yeah. And one of the things that I would always suggest people do, too, is between their their backpacking trips, uh, for training, do hikes with their loaded pack or even heavier than their loaded pack. Yeah. Uh, Because then from, you know, if you do a fair amount of hiking, but the only time you ever carry that load is when you backpack, uh, you're going to run into the thing where it is basically your body's not acclimatized to it. So one of the best things you can do is we refer to them as weighted hikes, right? So it's go for a training hike. Um, and even if it's just out for a day hike, do it with 40 pounds on your back. Yeah, because um, to, you know, to hike, to backpack all day and say your, your backpack's not fitted properly and it's your shoulders are aching and you can sort that all out. And same thing with your boots. If you find that you're not wearing, say, your liner socks plus your socks and you're getting blisters, can sort that all out yeah well there, there's that part of it and then just the physical acclimatization like conditioning your body to carry totally load. yeah um because that's uh and and nobody needs to start with whatever your full load is or heavier no um start with your pack empty right like if your pack weighs four pounds uh you know or, or whatever your pack weighs like mine weighs two and a half um but start with it close to empty and just gradually add weight, just like you're lifting weights. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and over time you get to that point where you're like let's say when you go for a backpacking trip your pack would normally weigh 30 pounds well if you've conditioned yourself to do an hour and a half two hour three hour hike with 50 pounds right over the course of a year um then you run into the thing when you throw 30 on it seems easy and you just do, 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 and just motor along. Yeah. I know the first time we went to Black Forest um, in trail in Pennsylvania, that was my first backpacking trip with you, mm-hmm. aside from the wilderness training and survival course you did. Um, I think that was like 40, it was supposed to be 70 kilometers. We did 45 in the end. Anyway, it was 40 kilometers over, I think, three and a half or two and a half days. Um, up and down elevations were about 1200. So the, the training that I did before that one were two weekends in a row, I think about 10 and 15 K like it wasn't a lot, but I do think it helped me because mm-hmm. I had never, you know, carried that much weight for that long all yeah. day. Cause those were long days. I think there were eight, 10 hour days. Yeah. I'm going to say, and yeah. that's how we treated it as a work day. Yeah. Like a nine to five. Um, plus your breaks, but, um, yeah. And one of the other things that, that, uh, when you're, when you're sort of laying out your trip, uh, is then, uh, it always helps to get yourself some resources. Like, so basically, uh, things like, uh, openstreetmaps.org, um, which is free online maps you can play with and, uh, you can actually download them and put them on your Garmin if you've got a Garmin. Uh, then uh, the All Trails app, you know, printed maps, they can be really useful, obviously. If you take in uh, any of the parks, you know, it depends on the area you're in, on how easy it will be to find printed maps. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you predominantly use electronics, I always want to have printed maps with me. Huge. Because I'm kind of old school. Um, the thing that I like with a, a map over any of the electronics is I can see the whole trail or mm-hmm. like the whole, get yeah. the big picture view yep. um, that you can't get with uh, the electronics because the screens aren't big enough. Yeah, but even from a safety perspective, you always want redundancy. So it's either have two electronics with backup batteries, yep. um, printed maps and compass, because a map and compass only means anything if you know how to use it mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with the electronics um, so uh, using those tools to plan your trips can also help you learn how to use them uh, because if you're if you're like drawing in routes mm-hmm. and saving it to your gps then hopefully um, you can actually start to understand how it works same thing with maps like if you're drawing it and measuring distances and calculating that whole thing um, that makes your life a lot easier too because the more you plan it like the more you understand okay so you know this day is probably going to be x and this day is going to be y like this day okay we've got these two big climbs yeah exactly but then we have this long stretch along the valley or whatever it is at least myself i like to sort of almost visualize each day totally as i'm laying it out and then when i'm out there i kind of refresh myself each morning before i go right right i know what obstacles are coming up part of that's just psychological there's nothing worse than getting hit with a a brutally steep climb or something like that when you had no idea it was coming up well that's a big red flag <laughs> you know no i'm wondering yeah. I'd be wondering, am I on the right trail? You know. Yeah. Um, well, and, th- and that's the thing. We're, we're being able to analyze and read a map. Like, what do the lines mean? The contour lines. And, uh, you know, what type of terrain does the map tell me I'm going to see? It won't, obviously, no map is detailed enough to tell you, uh, is the ground rough and rocky? Or is it a packed dirt trail? Or is it muddy? Or is it rooty? Um, you know, it won't tell us any of that, but it will tell you, you know, what your elevations are like, what your steepness you can expect. Um, obviously distances, uh, from all of that, then you might get a, you know, you'll, you'll see how many stream crossings you might have, like how many times, uh, the trail crisscrosses a stream or something like that. Because let's say you do have to cross a stream a bunch of times. Either that means you might end up with wet feet or, you know, if it's not something that's a nice trail that's got bridges, um, it can also mean uh, it'll be a little slower because if you're, you know, 
hopping from rock to rock to cross across a stream, mm-hmm. um, that will be a little slower than just a, a, a nice quick open trail. Hey, Winston, when you're checking out an area that you've never been before, how do you even consider what area to start? Do, what do you Google? Nowadays, with so many websites, a lot of the stuff I'm researching is stuff that's accessible to us within X amount of drive. Like, I don't really want to drive any more than seven hours. Right. Like, the nine-hour drive down to Seneca Rocks last year was just a little too long. Like, I don't sit well. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, part of it's just sort of stir-crazy. You're like, are we not there yet? Or are we not home yet? Yeah. Um, So, I kind of almost uh, put a, you know, like a drawing compass, Mm -hmm. not a navigating compass, in the map where I live and draw a circle. Okay. Right? So then I start looking at, okay, what fits in that circle? Mm-hmm. And, you know, basically seven hours, give or take, like yeah. 650 to 700 kilometers. Um, so what fits in that? Well, for us, if you sort of look more westerly, now you're looking at like southern Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, like, you know... Um, because that starts going into the states, but they're not known for being particularly uh, hilly areas. Um, and I always find hilly areas have more interesting hiking. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we start looking further south or further east. Um, so if you look south, well, then you're running into the thing of basically southern New York, Pennsylvania. Then West Virginia, you know, you've got kind of all of that stuff. Um, although West Virginia is just that hair far. So then once you've sort of got your circle drawn, then I'll take and do a little bit of research of like best hikes in northern Pennsylvania mm-hmm. or, you know, what have you. And then start jotting some notes down. And then you'll start coming across websites like there's midatlantichikes.com that has Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Maryland, I think, on it. Okay. Um, And then all these breakdowns. And it's not everything in the state, but there's a map with, like, little icons all over it, and you click, and it'll open up a page. And then you can... And basically, it will give you the distance of the hike. uh, Like, there's a big chart, right? And links to all of these hikes, but it'll give you... Uh, the distance, elevation, and what they call like severity or difficulty. Right. And then you start looking and go, oh, and some of them are point to point. It'll also label it if it's a loop. Mm-hmm. And then you start, again, making notes in your notebook, mm-hmm. right? And then you can investigate each one in each area. And then, you know, all trails, uh, the app, uh, which you can put on your phone and they have a, a website. You can actually go to an area and... Uh, like if you're using it on your phone, it'll just tell you the hikes around you, like if your location's on. That's right. Um, but if you're using the website, uh, and you can do this with the app too, but you can put in a, an area, right? Like a location you want to go to mm-hmm. and it will give you the, the hikes and you can choose how big of a radius from that location. It will give you the hikes from that and then you can click on them, see all the details. Yeah, what I like about it is that you can filter by difficulty, elevation, even popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a shared platform. So people upload their comments, their photos. Their hikes. And it's a bit more of like a, a Yelp platform where people give their feedback. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the area promoting it and you never know how good it really is. Yeah, and it, it's from all over. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's it, worldwide, actually. Yeah. It's really neat in that regard. And you can save, you can get it for free. You can get access to it for free. Or you can pay a subscription and get more features. Now, REI Hiking Project, it's very similar, isn't it? To a mountain project. But the Hiking Project or Hiking Project um, is sort of a useful jumping off point. But just like Mountain Project, you really want to get a guidebook for an area. Yeah, um, I, I use it just to get a sense of what's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, aggregators where they, they have a whole collection. Yes. Um, that's always helpful. And then when you Google like best hikes in wherever, um, anything that looks like it's the, the tourist bureau or what have you, I don't even open those ones. When I'm first, like I'll, I'll give a look later on. But 
because uh, a lot of times they'll have like specific about the the, the rules and regulations and all that kind of thing. Um, but I'll often sort of scroll down and find those sites that are non-affiliated because a lot of times too is like it's not the official hike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes people will take pieces, you know, in an area and they'll create a loop, right? It's all a f- existing trails, but the park doesn't consider it an official loop. And so having other people's feedback, because m- other people are going to be trying to plan the same kind of trips we are, mm-hmm. right? So you can um, look at the groundwork that other people have done. And when you're looking at that, one of the important things to look at too, you know, besides uh, obviously where you're going and how long you're going and how much you want to cover a day, um, is look at the time of year you're going. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> because that is a big thing as far as both gear, the impediments or hazards you run into vary throughout the year. Yeah. On our last trip, we were in the Adirondacks in the late fall. And our last day, we were just on the cusp of freezing our buns off at night. Just, 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 just. And two days later, there's snow. Yeah. So I was there with my zero rated sleeping bag, no liner. Can you imagine if we stayed a little extra time? Well, it wasn't any colder. They just got snow. Um, it was getting chilly, though. We oh. were lucky. I mean, we were in the lean-to <laughs> with our hammocks. Probably not supposed to do that. But um, nobody else was using it, which created a nice barrier from the wind. Mm -hmm. And then we added our tarp at the front. So it really was completely enclosed and did heat up quite a bit. Yeah. I think it added a, I don't know if I like five degrees, five, seven degrees. It was substantially warmer. It it was. So that made a big difference. But uh, had we not had that, it would have been chilly. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that is uh, when you, when you're planning and you, you know what the dates are. One of the things I always encourage people to do is research what the historic low is, mm-hmm. right? So the the low, the record low, because there's if you are equipped to handle the record low, you're probably pretty good. Yeah, right. I would agree with that because, like, let's say you know um, you're going out in you know early fall, and the record low during the day is minus two. Right. Well, right now it's plus 10. Not right now, but, you know, like the the current weather conditions are 10 degrees above zero Mm -hmm. um, or above freezing for our American friends, which is 32. What I ran into when when I've done this is like, you know, the historic like the record low was minus four during the day, maybe minus 10 overnight. Well, uh, if then, you know, when we go down, it actually is like plus 10 during the day because it's more seasonal temperature, right? Like that's, it's not the record, but we could handle the record temperatures, mm-hmm. then you're fine. Yeah. Um, and uh, the way I always look at that is not just your sleeping bag, but it's, you know, if you put, uh, say your top and bottom base layer you sleep in under all your clothes, how much temperature would that add? Right. For me, if I took what I normally, you know, hike in in the fall and I put a long sleeve top and bottom base layer under everything, mm-hmm. I'm ready for winter. <laughs> well, I, I haven't been backpacking a whole lot in the fall, just a couple of times. And uh, this one in the Adirondacks was what? The number of times we came across a swampy area. And that one time we had to, if you ever want to check out our Instagram, you see I, I've got on video uh, Winston <laughs> having to traverse a swampy area on these floating logs, which I swore he was going to fall in, which is why I was videotaping mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and I did not. He did not. But uh, then I'm like, oh, shit, no, I got to go. Um, yeah, but you can imagine if you had fallen in, sweet, you got nice wet boots and clothes, mm-hmm. you're still out there, the temperature drops. And in this area, you're not allowed to have campfires. That really sucks. Yeah. And I had a, a very limited amount of clothing. I really didn't have, I had one other change of uh, socks and I had my um, thermal underwear. That was it. Yep. So you didn't, screwed. you didn't plan very well. No, I didn't. But I was also trying to, I was optimistic. So that was a good point. Um, that's something that I didn't in my clothing plan for colder temperatures. And I was just on the cusp of keeping it Yeah. Keeping so, it so listen to this episode and do what we say. 
<laughs> yeah, especially when you're in those shoulder seasons, right? Because you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. Yeah, because if you're out in winter, it's winter. You know it's winter. Yeah, right? and, and a lot of times you don't know that it's going to be snowing up on the mountain until you cross it. And you're like, holy shit. And that happens a lot in the summer Yeah, as well, is that people you know, are, are not prepared. Yeah. And then accidents happen because, quite honestly, we had it been two days later and had there been ice, you would have, we would have needed cleats, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, or, or they would have helped anyway. Yeah. Um, and so that's always one of those things where you really do want to pay attention mm-hmm. to both the current weather, the projected weather, and then what the historic weather you could run into. Yeah. Right. And when you plan that out, uh, the thing that I, I, I encourage people to do as far as clothing is just learning how to mix and match things mm-hmm. um, so that if you put all your pieces together, you could handle way colder than what you're dealing with. Um, and then if you are uh, wet, um, because let's maybe say it rained, right? Mm-hmm. Like that you're, uh, until you stop and get in a shelter, you're not going to dry off. Yeah. The big thing is, you know, obviously rain gear on. Yeah. And keep moving, right? Basically because that's going to generate heat. It'll dry Right? So that can dry out quite a bit. It's when you are kind of damp or wet and then you stop moving, Mm -hmm. right? Then you get cold in a hurry. Um, And... That's always one of those uh, things. Most areas you go into, um, if it's cold and wet, there's no restriction on you having a fire I was just or say, ban on you having yeah. a fire. The the Adirondack High Peaks are one of the few places. Um, the Eastern High Peaks, you can't have campfires. Yeah, you definitely want to check that. Yeah. So yeah, so so looking at that time of year, but if you research that historic low and make sure that you're equipped to handle that. You've given yourself usually a pretty wide buffer, unless we happen to have like a, a magically cold year mm-hmm. um, or day or season, whatever. Um, then from there, uh, you know, we get into the safety side of things as far as trip planning. That's right. Um, Absolutely. And so we've talked about this before, but one of the big things you want to do is um, don't keep your itinerary a secret. <laughs> uh you always want to have a check-in buddy or two. Totally. Um, so you give them where you're going, r- your route, uh, and how long you're going to be, when you're going to check back with them. Um, give them all the phone numbers for the area you're going into for the emergency. Yes. Um, you know, you do the, the legwork. So if you don't check in, they're calling. Yep. Right? To get, you know... And explain to them, okay, if you don't hear from me by this time, right? And give yourself some buffer room, right? You don't want them calling search and rescue just because <laughs> it took you a little bit longer to get out of the trail. A couple hours, yeah. Um, we usually wait until the next day. Yeah. And that way they can get people looking for you. Mm-hmm. Because if, if somebody just randomly goes on a backpacking trip and nobody has a clue, and then they haven't heard from that person in a bit, they have no idea where to send or anything. Yeah, yeah. I do um, encourage people to invest, if they have the funds to do it, um, in some kind of uh, satellite communication. So there's the spot. I have the Garmin InReach Explorer Plus, which is a two-way satellite communicator by text. It also has an SOS button that if you run into any problems, then you can call for help. Um, but what's really cool about it, the way it works is it tracks where you are. It also records that anybody that you give it to, you can even do it through social media for fun, but you can give it to your check-in buddy or anybody else. They can see live where you are. And so, um, you know, if there was an emergency and they haven't heard back from you in a while, they at least know where you are. Or, or where at least GPS where you were last seen, yeah. With a Garmin. Because here's, here's the thing, like when you have the freedom, especially in the States, to venture off and not have to worry about where you camp because you can do it anywhere it gives you that flexibility to not have to stick to that plan that you told them originally if Mm -hmm. if it was that stringent for example in the past although i would do this 
in the past, whenever we went up a summit, because I was very new at it and paranoid, <laughs> even in the summer, but especially in the winter, I would let a person know, here. okay, here's where my car is at the beginning of the trail hut. This is where we're leaving. When we get to our campsite, I would let them know we've camped here. Okay. Yeah. And then good night, basically. In my case, I probably overdid it because I would check in every night because we were going in the winter. Well, but every night's not bad. It's not it's, a bad idea. You know, um, if, to, it, if it's a thing of every uh, little event along the trail, no. you know. The only time I would then say an extra time to check in is that I would say in the morning, okay, we're up. And as soon as we were taken off, I'd say, we're going up the summit so that if there was an issue, they'd know at least in what direction we were heading. Yeah. Because I didn't want them to have to keep on track of, keep on top of our routes every day. Mm-hmm. But here's where we're going up. And then when we come back down to the camp, or when I've summited, I'd say I'd summited. And of course, they can see what I'm doing, but they yep. know that I'm still safe and I'm talking to them. And then when we got back down to the camp for the rest of the night where that was it, I'd say goodnight. That way they're not having to wait. So that seemed to really work well for us. And often we would change our plans about where we're going next. And if we were to move, you know, the next day, I would say this is where we're headed. Or anyways, as each day goes on, as we started off on the the trail, I would just say what our next plans were if it was something really, really big. If it was mm-hmm. something small, I don't worry about it too much, but I keep them in the in the loop. In advance, they know what I more or less what I'm doing mm-hmm. and when I'm coming back out. And um, but that the Garmin, because it has that live connection is is nice. Yeah. So so with these devices, um, the two big brands uh, are Garmin, which they do the inReach, uh, the inReach Mini, the 66i, which is their latest GPS with the satellite communication technology in it, uh, the 86i, which is their latest GPS technology in a floating case <laughs> for like if you're a kayaker or a canoeist, that might be the one for you to get. So you've got the satellite two-way communication and an emergency locator beacon. But you also, if you drop it in the lake, it doesn't sink. Um, so there's that whole family. And then the Spot product. So there's the Spot Gen 3, which is only a one-way transmitter. Um, it's the least expensive, um, you know, well under $200, mm-hmm. even Canadian. Um, and then the plus of it now, you used to have to buy a full year subscription even right. if there was only a few yeah. times a year you used it. Now you can just activate it for the months you want to use Yeah, um, for the spot. And then there's the spot uh, X, which is their two-way satellite text communicator. Um, still has a GPS chip in it so that people know where you are, but it doesn't have any maps or anything like the Garmin's do. Uh, but it's got a BlackBerry keyboard built on it. So it's the easiest one to message with. Mm. It just has limited functionality. So it's great for the emergency part and the messaging. Yeah. It just doesn't do any of the navigation. Um, and whereas the Garmin's, other than the InReach Mini, which is this tiny little communicator, um, all the other ones are also mapping GPSs. So you can combine both items in one. Um and in a sec, we'll get to navigation. Um, but one of the interesting things you run into as far as planning goes as well um, is once you've got, you know, your distances and all those things worked out and, and you've got your gear for whatever season you're in, then you got to think about food. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the average... Um, person like one of the easy ways to figure out what you need as a base caloric intake um is take uh whatever you weigh and times it by 15 okay and that gives you a rough idea of just your maintenance calories Hmm. um so if you want a trip where you lose weight just do that (laughs) and if you're hiking all day it'll mean you're in a caloric deficit uh, so, you know, just as a thing. Um, but otherwise, like up your calories over your over your base, um, you know, to maintain energy. And uh, then you can sort of sit down and work out how much food you need each day. Yeah, we um, have an episode that talks all about this as well in, in great, great detail. Yeah. But um, certainly, you know, you don't want to, you know, carry too much food because that can really bog you down. And, and, um, and then more and more that... You, 
the more you do this, the more you get a sense of how much you really need. Per day, yeah. Yeah. For example, I find in the summer, um, I actually don't eat very much. Um, I'm not as hungry. Maybe it's because of the heat. I drink a lot. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the winter, I easily will consume a whole bag of uh, dehydrated meals versus yeah. in the summer, I'll split that. Yeah. So everybody's a little different. And until you start doing it, well, you really know. But um, you generally want high carbs, high fat. High protein. <laughs> yeah, sugar. Sugar yeah. will always, you know, it's like jet no. fuel. So, um, and keep in mind, we also have another in that same episode or another one, we have one on water filtration or all about water. Yeah. Um, having three ways to have clean water. Um, and you don't necessarily have to carry it all for uh, folks get, just getting into this. Um, you can certainly just uh, take enough couple liters going in and then filter or purify along the way yeah and that's where one of the other planning things is when you're looking at your route look at where you're going Mm, to get water it's huge um if you're here in eastern north america uh generally that's (laughs) less of a concern yeah as far as like strategically picking your water because you're you know so many of our routes are on lakes or you're crossing streams all the time yeah but when we go down into the desert it literally your big landmark is water sources. Yeah, that's interesting because um, if you're going to do something that's completely unknown to you, especially if backpacking is new to you, very worthwhile um, once you've picked something that you'd like to give her, give her a go to check it out on YouTube. You know, see it visually and other people's experiences, what it actually looks like. Does mm-hmm. it have the features you're looking for? Um, you know, through a video, you might see things that you're, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, that there was all these drops and sand and that much, you know, there's just so many things that you don't really account for until you're there. And so if you can gain from somebody else's experience, then uh, I think it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable and prepared. Yeah. And I think one of the other things like back to the water is, uh, some people end up carrying too much because Mm -hmm. they don't look at their map each day to figure out, uh, okay, well, you know, in about 3K, there's a water source. And in 5K, there's a water source. Um, you know, generally, unless it's, you know, down in the desert. Yeah. I never carry more than two liters at any one time. I don't yeah. need to. Yeah. Um, unless you sort of get to that thing where it's like you're going to be, say, camping up on a ridge line or something like that uh, before you go down. Or, you know, you don't really want to camp on a ridge line, but part way up. And there's no water source till the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, then you might stock up a little bit, uh, but it's always one of those things of looking at uh, your um, water and your route. Yeah, and making some little notes. Yeah, and and quite honestly, before we even take off on the uh, the trail. If there's like a little visitor center with the ranger or whatnot, they often have uh, reports about what's happening. And if you just ask them, is there anything unusual going on? How is the water flooding, uh, lack of water? If that's what you're concerned about, you'll get the latest. Yeah. And that can be very helpful. If, yeah. If you're in anything that's got uh, like an actual like visitor center or... or Yeah. Yeah. I always do that. I always yeah. check and see what's going on. Well, and nowadays too, like a lot of areas will have online reports that are updated. Um, yeah, actually. So. Yeah, a great one that I didn't realize how resourceful it was. It was for the Adirondacks. Their, um, their High Peaks report. Yeah, not yeah. just their High Peaks report, but on Facebook, even the social media. People will put out photos of what their hikes look like, what's going on, issues. Um, so you can get it from a d- number of different areas. Yeah, because like, it, and the, the, this applies to different um, governing bodies. But like the Department of Environmental Conservation in New York, which manages the Adirondacks, uh, they have um, basically trail conditions mm-hmm. uh, for all different areas. So like if you're checking out the high peaks, um, once a week it's updated, like how much snow or what the water levels are like or, Rain. you know, yeah, uh, right. what the trail conditions. It's like, you know, they'll sometimes different times a year ask that, you know, avoid the high altitude trails because of, um, you know, flooding and erosion or, uh, you know, whatever it happens to be so that then you know what's going on. Maybe not in real time, um, yeah. but, but recently updated. Yeah. Um, the other thing that can be really useful too um, to get an idea, um, and I find I do this a lot more in winter, um, but there's a lot of places that will have webcams 
mm-hmm. right? So if I want to see what the snow is like, then I'll I'll check out uh, the webcam. So that's like, oh, okay, so down in the valley, you know, um, where this webcam is located, there's a ton of snow. So I know up higher, there's going to be a lot of snow. Yeah. Um, you know, or or whatever the conditions happen to be, so that you've got that better understanding of of. Uh, the particular conditions and with all of the different things we talked about like we'll, we'll have uh, a article up um, on the website we'll link to on trip planning and it'll break each of these things down a little more in detail and then what I always recommend is like start a spreadsheet right so and you just each time you're doing a trip do all these little headers mm-hmm. um, and just fill it in as you research Right. So you you've got a rough idea of your route and, you know, how many days and, you know, all of these things worked out so that even down to little things like um, making some notes so that you have uh, you go through your gear beforehand and figure out, oh, do I need any extra things for my first aid kit? Um, Do I have enough wet wipes? Do I need new batteries for my headlamp? Yeah, I do a gear list as part of my trip planning. That way I don't have to think about it every time I do it. Mm hmm. Because there's nothing like having to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and that way you don't leave anything behind. Yeah, that's really important. You don't want to have to worry about that. Everybody's busy, you know, so if you can find ways to streamline, that works. Yeah. Um, and then now we'll, we'll sort of transition over to a little talk of navigation. Um, so what you'll run into old school uh, is map and compass. And... Even if that's not your primary method, I always recommend having those on board with you mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't rely on batteries. It'll always work. Um, take some local classes, yeah. uh, or, you know, on how to use a compass and, and read a map. Um, that can really help. Um, but then lots of people are using their phones, mm-hmm. uh, especially with more phones becoming like like yours being waterproof, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Basically, getting out in the wet doesn't trash it like it used to. Yeah. Um, and the GPS reception when you're out of a cell network um, seems to be improving with phones. Uh, and with apps like All Trails, that you can plan your whole trip on. Um, you know, anytime you're using electronics, take backup battery, you know, whether it's a, a portable battery bank to keep your device charged. Um, if you're doing a handheld GPS that uses uh, alkaline batteries, extra batteries, um, and you know, basically having a good understanding before you go yeah. of the layout of everything, uh, and so map and compass, uh, you know, phone, um, handheld GPS. Um, you know they're they're going to be the most accurate and the most reliable as far as GPSs or electronics go. Because mm-hmm. um, if you tried your phone um, as a GPS, I have not. Um, so here's the thing: um, when I go with you, I often follow you. Okay, I think there's nothing. The best thing that you can do to master all of this is to do a solo trip. Yeah. Because you have to. You have to. And the first time I went solo, uh, backpacking more recently, like backcountry, um, was the first time I had my Garmin with me. So I purposely, as I mentioned, picked something easier because I wanted to know what its limitations were. So one thing I will say about the Garmin InReach Explorer is that although its navigation is um, live and spot on, which is great, um, its communication only happens if it has clear view of the sky. Well, guess what? You're in, you're in a forest. <laughs> so there, it was very often I couldn't get a message to send um, until I found clear view of the sky, which was unless I was by the water or on the top of a, you know, a hill, right, above the tree line, or there was like an opening, which is very unusual. So keep that in mind. Um, if communication is important to you, but, um, again, just because Winston, you take leadership on, you know, a lot of the navigation, I really, as much as you've taught me, like, uh, I'll uh, certainly keeping aware of my, being aware of my surroundings and landmarks, but as far as taking that leadership to know what's going to happen today and where we're going to go, 
tends to fall on you or you do it. And because we're usually on the go, go, go attitude or mm-hmm. that's, you know, I just follow. But I, which is actually why sometimes I just want to do a trip without you because I know I'll, I'll do it myself, right? Um, and that's, and it actually feels really good doing that. There's a real sense of empowerment. And um, when I had to do that with another person on a trip and make those decisions and they were relying on me. Mm-hmm. But that's when you start to really, um, you know, learning your skills. Yeah. And the thing you're going to run into with, any type of navigation is don't practice it for the first time out in the woods on no. your backpacking trip. Go to some local parks, um, you know, get some maps uh, and see, like, look at the map, right? Figure out where you are, like, as far as a park or something like that goes. Yeah. Um, and you want to get topographical maps, not just like a city map because it doesn't really have any of the land detail. Yeah. Um, and look at the map, choose a point, um, you know, like something interesting where, there, where you're actually going to have to go through the woods and navigate your way to it. And when mm-hmm. I say woods, like I'm talking like if you've got like a park that's got like a woodlot on it or something like that. Conservation. Whereas, you know, and if you figure, uh, I don't know where I am, listen for the cars and walk back to the road. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, where you're not actually um, sort of out in the real thick of it. Mm-hmm. But develop these skills uh, and and an understanding of how your tools work um, before you go out. You know, practice them on day hikes. Uh, you know, so that basically you you understand like with a with a compass how to take a bearing, how to orient your map properly, mm-hmm. um, what declination is because true north and magnetic north are not the same thing, uh, and so. You know, when you, most people, when they hold a compass and the little red needle, they think it points towards north, but it actually points towards magnetic north, which is sort of this moving point somewhere in Hudson's Bay. Um, so uh, what you'll run into is the, the uh, depending on where you are, you know, either further east or further west, you need to make an adjustment um, called declination to compensate for the fact that magnetic north and the North Pole aren't the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it changes every year by two degrees? No, no. Like 0.2? 0.2. Yeah. So it's but not- can you imagine if you have an, an old map that somebody's lent to you that's like 10, 20 years old, it's, 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 it's out of date. Yeah. And you, and you need to realize that those maps are do expire or they, well, they, they don't they, expire, you, but they, you just need to calculate. You, or, need, you need to change that and figure it out. When one of the easiest things to do is that before you go on a trip, go, what is declination of wherever mm-hmm. on Google? Yeah. And it will tell you, write that on your map with a date. Mm-hmm. Right. So then you know what the declination is right now. Um, and it makes it very easy for you to, uh, uh, basically adjust. Yeah, um, and if you get a compass that has adjustable declination, you can dial that declination in, and you don't have to do the math every time you do a calculation. Mm-hmm. Now, most of the time, the fact that it points generally north, right, as opposed to exactly north, is fine because you're at a crossroad of a trail, right? And it's like I need to go roughly that way, yeah. <laughs> Not, uh, you know, uh, two hundred and forty-two degrees. Mm-hmm. Right, because he, unless you're navigating cross country, mm-hmm. um, exact measurements are less of a concern. So if you're backpacking on trails, right, um, then the fact that your the red needle points generally north, even if it's not regardless of where you are in North America, it's not perfect. Yeah, you know, well that'll get you when you're at a crossroads of a trail. Go, oh okay, it's this one. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's sort of the, the, for most of the time, that's more than enough. Yeah, but don't just rely on the trail because there are times where the trail is no longer so apparent and or you'll have uh, another trail that it veers off and you're supposed to take that one. So really what you're looking for on on routes are the markers. Would you say that all no. trails have markers? Nope. It dep- like if it's an official trail that's marked, yes. generally they will. Yeah. Um, and so our rule of thumb is that if you haven't seen them, if it is a marked trail and you haven't seen the marker in a while, go back. Yeah. Go back to the last marker. Because you, depending on on the the how they've 
marked the trail, mm-hmm. like a, like something like the Bruce Trail, um, the general rule of thumb is you can see the next blaze from the last blaze. Uh, so, uh, you know, sometimes it's just a case you've just missed it. Right. Right. And the trail seemed to go one way, but the actual trail went a little off to the left instead of the right. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of where uh, or nowhere, right, it might be a rocky surface so that then you're not seeing footprints or like the wear in the soil. And we just kind of blindly follow along. <laughs> um and that sort of what you're what you're saying sort of comes back to the thing of like, if you're not sure where you are, right, don't keep going with the idea it's magically, like double back. Like it, mm-hmm. it, as loath as I am to ever cover the same section of trail <laughs> twice, um, you know, retrace your steps uh, and don't always just walk with your head down, right? Like if you're on rough terrain, um, or you need to watch where you put each footstep, um, you know, on a fairly regular basis, pause for a second and look around. Yeah. Right? Know what you're around. Because a lot of times we just sort of blindly just sort of do, 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 do it with our eyes on the ground. That's true. And then you get well off of where, you know, you have no idea of, of the terrain you're in or yeah. the, the area you're in. Yeah. And so then when you look up, nothing looks familiar because you haven't been looking at any of it. Yeah. No, that's really big, especially um, looking for landmarks and not only looking ahead for those landmarks, but turn around, especially if you're going to come back mm-hmm. and you want to make sure you're on your right trail. So this often happens, or I hear about it, people will summit a mountain, right? Um, and going up to that mountain, there's several trails. And then they're up there, they're taking photos or taking a break, they're having a snack, whatever, and then it's time to go and they're like, oh shit. They can't find their way down. No. And so really taking that mental image of where you are, both front and back, is key to, you know, navigating as well. Aside from having your GPS and compass, but if you, uh, if anything fails in, in a hurry or even in an emergency situation, you have to go back out and get help, like making sure you're aware of major landmarks. Yeah. And, and, and it's always one of those things too, like, uh, taking no, like say with your map and compass, having a little notebook with you, mm-hmm. right? Because you take a reading and now you can write it down. Yeah. So then if you then go forward and then you got to double back, um, well, you didn't have to remember what that reading yeah, was. Yeah, especially if you add the time as well. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a sense of tracking how how quickly you are going on this terrain as well. Yep. You know. Um, so you, basically uh, having like more than one um, navigation method is never bad. Being that we always go out with our phones, uh, almost everybody, even if you're out of cell reception, you carry your phone with you. Yeah. Uh, having some... Uh, even if you use a map and compass, having like some backup uh, downloaded maps on your phone. Yeah, talk about that for people who are not technically as inclined. Um, how can you preserve the battery on your phone? What What are the key things you need to turn off? Turn it into airplane mode. Turn the screen brightness down. Um, you know, if 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 you're only using it for a backup. Turn it off. Mm-hmm. You haven't used anything. I know a lot of people like to take photos. I know I do. So I like to keep it on. But I find that if you've got the airplane mode on and, um, yeah, the internet off, well, that's the same thing. Yeah. Then you're generally good. Yeah. And if your location's turned off on it so that it, it's right. not trying to find the GPS satellites, right. which, of course, if you want to use it as your backup, you know, if, if your GPS or your maps or something, you drop your map in the lake, um, your compass blows away, whatever it is, uh, then being able to um, turn the location on your phone on mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that it your phone knows where you are so it shows you the right place on the map. But then I would turn that off in between, mm-hmm. right? So because when it's basically polling or pinging the satellites, right. uh, that just sucks a lot of battery. Yeah. Um, so if you have everything off that you don't need, then your phone will last way longer, mm-hmm. right? And if you're not actually using it for taking photos, mm-hmm. just keep it off. Yeah, right? oh, for sure. So yeah. then if you're in an emergency, and keep it near you, like in an inside jacket pocket, because mm-hmm. if it's cold, the um, and this goes for your GPS as well, um, if it's cold out, keep it on you on an inside pocket, because batteries, 
basically lose a lot of power in the cold. Mm -hmm. So if you're keeping it warm, then you'll get better performance out of it. Gotcha. So, yeah. Hopefully you guys have picked up a little bit about trip planning. Like I said, more article or more detail in the article that I've got on how to plan a backpacking trip. Um, And then, uh, you know, it's a case with uh, navigation. Play with these apps before you go out. Play with a map and compass before you go out. Yeah. Again, I go back to my point. Um, If you tend to rely on others, I highly recommend going on a solo trip to basically test it out you know and a very easy trip where you know there's really no risk of getting lost um there's lots of people it's well trafficked you know um where a lot of people do day hikes and you can camp that's what i did Mm -hmm. and uh like i said it was about a 26k hike the one day but it was all good and very safe so there's nothing to worry about yeah And, and if you look at the resources um if you're new to this when you when you are uh planning your trips do ones that are popular on the beaten track. Yes. To start with. Yes. Right. And then as your skills build, you could go farther and further afield. Totally. Um, because it all works together. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't, you don't want your first one to be, uh, the kind of thing that you have to do a search and rescue call out for. (laughs) Uh, like I am, I'm, immensely you know thankful and have tons of gratitude for the people that that work search and rescue so let's um help them by not needing them (laughs) yeah Um, yeah and you know uh having a satellite communicator if you do get in trouble that actually a lot of people think of that as a device that helps them Mm -hmm. and and without a doubt it does but most people don't think about the fact that if you have a communicator um you know an inreach a you know, a, a spot, anything like that, and um, you get in trouble, uh, then not only is it, you know, increasing your odds of safety, mm. um, but it helps the the search and rescue professionals. Yeah. Because uh, if you go missing, right, you don't report back in, people are coming looking for you. But they don't know where you are, right? So now it's this search, yeah. right? The first part of the rescue. Um, and they're going to be combing. And the more miles people have to put on, the more likely somebody, one of them is going to get hurt. That's right. Um, if they know exactly where you are, yeah, they just got to come get your sorry ass. Yeah, we had a great conversation today with a search and rescue uh, paramedic. And he said that the number one things that people don't know is where they are and how to get out. Mm-hmm. And so they may have these devices, but they have no clue how to figure out their GPS locate coordinates. So anyway, we'll leave it on that note because we're going to have them on the podcast at some point. Yeah. But uh, like Winston said, there's going to be information in our adventure blog. Um, you can check out some of our other uh, past episodes and, and articles as well. Yeah. And then if you've got questions or, or uh, comments on the show, um, send us an email. You can find that on our website. Uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, just look up Live Wild Radio. You know, we're, we're doing this so we can interact with people. So, you know, feel free to interact. Yes. So, so until next time. Get out there and work hard. Play dirty. <laughs>